Bible and turn to Revelation 16. If you don't have one, you can grab one of the chairback Bibles that should be nearby, and you'll find this evening's text on page 1037. Tonight we want to study just the first nine verses of, of chapter 16, the first four of seven bowls that are going to be poured out in this chapter. So let me read those verses for us and I pray for God's blessing and then we'll begin. So listen now as God speaks once again through his word. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. A second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was. For you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat. And they cursed the name of God, who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. Thus far, the reading of God's word, let's pray once again. Father, we do ask that at the close of this day, you would speak to us in the same way that you ministered to us at the beginning of this day, that you would lift our gaze, that you would raise our affections and attention to Jesus Christ. In the midst of a text speaking of wrath and judgment and punishment and penalties, that we would see the merciful provision that's offered to us in your Son. So help us to hear this word, but not only hear it, but keep it, and therefore find the promised benediction that you have given to this great book. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It was about five years ago, perhaps maybe a little bit longer, that one of the mainline Presbyterian denominations in our country decided that it was time to revise the hymnal. And if you know anything about hymnal revisions, revising the hymnal tends to mean, well, which new songs are going to be in the hymnal and which old ones are we going to pull out of the hymnal? And so this mainline division said that they were, or denomination said that they were going to consider uh, this modern hymn of sorts called In Christ Alone. But they had a problem with the hymn, because you might know in the second verse, there's this part that talks about it was on the cross of Jesus Christ that the wrath of God was satisfied. And here's the problem. They didn't like the language of wrath. So they contacted songwriters, because they need the publishing rights to be able to do this. And they said to the songwriters, hey, can we change the wrath of God was satisfied to the love of God was magnified? And the songwriters said, nope, you can't, you can't change it. And so they yanked it out of their consideration. Uh, they'd rather remove any notion of God's wrath than to rejoice in the truthfulness 
of God's wrath. And when you see a song yanked out of a hymnal, you wonder what such a committee would do with the book of Revelation as a whole, because we are seen in some ways in a glorious monotony, aren't we? In these chapters here towards the back end of the book, page after page, paragraph after paragraph, announcing that God's wrath is going to be poured out upon his enemies. And it's something we see again this evening in the first nine verses of chapter 16 with the first of the seven bowls that are going to come. We're going to look at the first four tonight. So if you weren't with us last week, we left off at the end of chapter 15, which was something of an interlude. That was rejoicing in God's justice, His truthfulness, His righteousness, and His holiness. And if you just glance back to verse 7 of chapter 15, you might remember that it was announced there that one of the four living creatures gave to these seven angels coming from God's presence seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And so now what we see in chapter 16 is each one of those seven bowls poured out, and we see the consequences uh, of each bowl. And it's important, as we often think about when it comes to Revelation, I mean, what's the perspective in terms of time related to these bowls? We said last week that it's certainly possible it could represent yet another perspective that John has regarding human history. We've said multiple times that, that these series of sevens represent these different vantage points that John is getting on the course of human history between Christ's first coming in his incarnation, or I'm sorry, his first coming to heaven in the ascension and his second coming from heaven at the end of the age. And these perspectives giving us different vantage points, angles on how human history is going to go. Now, it's certainly true that the bulls are doing that, but I think we're going to see tonight, even in the course of our study, that these bulls seem to represent the fullness and, and really the finality of God's judgment upon the earth. It's why even chapter 15, verse 1 said, with these bulls, the wrath of God is finished. And so we have to think once again, don't we, about God's wrath. Now, kids, if you live long enough in the Christian church and relate long enough to the world around you, that you'll know and soon find out, if you don't know, that, that many people want to remove God's wrath from any conversation about religious belief. Students, surely you will come to a place in your life, perhaps on a college campus or a university setting, where even Christians want to apologize for God's anger against sin. And it's a strikingly different than the counsel of an old preacher who wrote this classic book on spiritual warfare. His name was William Grinnell, and he wrote this book called The Christian in Complete Armor. And in one section, he was remarking about the tendency of humans to fear other people. And he said, if you want to find out a way to lessen your fear of man, think much on God's wrath. And he actually has a context in terms of Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 17, speaking about, you know, the terror of men is nothing compared to the terror of God. If you think more about that terror, you'll think less about this terror. And we're getting to think again, aren't we, about these golden bowls of fury that are going to fall upon the earth. And I wonder if you've ever perhaps meditated, thought about how God's wrath upon his enemies ought to change your life. How might it change your life? Is there a way in which God's wrath can bring comfort to his people? 
Bring steadfastness to his people. Perseverance to his people. Well, that certainly is what John is meaning to communicate to his original readers, that God's wrath, of course, is a good thing for God's people. Now, what I want you to see is just three truths from our nine verses related to God's wrath. Number one, God's wrath is personal. Number two, God's wrath is total. And number three, God's wrath is suitable. So we'll kind of go through it in a couple movements. Just want to see those three essential truths about God's wrath. Number one, it's personal. Look again at verse 1 of chapter 16. John says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Now if you circle that phrase, a loud voice, it's actually unique in the original. Because the adjective precedes the noun, where John normally would have the adjective following the noun. So it's placing this emphasis on this loud voice, its authority, its urgency. A voice, I dare say, of course, that erupted in our presence tonight, it would feel like it's shaking the walls. Go and pour forth God's wrath upon the earth. And you'll notice, of course, verse 1 doesn't tell us who's speaking. It just says there's this loud voice. But I think we can probably say with a degree of certainty and confidence that it's God, the Father's voice, that is even speaking this. We know from chapter 15 that we had this great scene of God there in his heavenly dwelling place. It's there that he's worshipped by his people. It's there that he's worshipped by the saints around the throne, the, the living creatures. But at the same time, even this language of retribution, of falling from heaven, it actually it comes from a key Old Testament text, Isaiah chapter 66 Verse 6, which says, the sound of an uproar from the city, a sound from the temple, a sound of the Lord rendering recompense to his enemies. That's the sound that's going forth from heaven. This is a wrath that's getting ready to fall on the earth, and this wrath is, is personal wrath. I saw a teacher of the Bible earlier this week talk about coming to these hard texts in Scripture. I'm sure Revelation 16 might be one such text, but these texts that you'll find in Scripture that tend to stir up these intense emotions. And the teacher said, when it comes to choosing between the Bible and my emotional experiences generated from these texts, or called upon from these texts, or frankly, the emotional experience I'm bringing into these texts, uh, when it comes to living my life, when it comes between the Bible and my emotional experiences, it's impossible for me to go with the Bible. In other words, if the Bible is at odds with my emotional experience, it's my emotional experience that trumps how I'm going to live. And God's wrath is meant to stir up these intense, genuinely emotional experiences. Of course, not only in the church, but we see even as this passage continues in the world itself. But we need to recognize, don't we, that we don't have to make this kind of decision between the emotional life of what it means to be human and the authority of God's Word because it's the Spirit working through the Word that sanctifies our emotional experience of even difficult truths. And the difficult truth you want to see from the very beginning, this is personal wrath. This is some more impersonal force that's going to fall in fury upon the earth. And you'll see that in a couple of ways. Glance down to verse 5. Where the angel in charge of the water says, You, O Holy One, brought these judgments. Skip down to verse 6. You have given them blood to drink. Glance down to verse 9. They curse the name of God who had power 
over these plagues. This is wrath. This is fury. This is anger. This is judgment that comes personally from God himself. So number one, God's wrath is personal. Number two, God's wrath is total. And you have to kind of read many of these series of sevens in correspondence with the other series of sevens. So, for example, if you were to remember back a few months ago, back in January, we were walking through chapter 8 and these seven trumpets that are sounding forth. And we notice how these trumpets were falling on the earth in such a way that they seemed to, to mirror the plagues. If I remember correctly, even like the second point that I gave you in the first part of, of that study was that the trumpets announce plague-like judgment on the wicked. And kids, what that means is these judgments, they can have these allusions. It calls back to the plagues that fell on Egypt in the Exodus. And notice the bowls are quite similar. Okay, so notice the first bowl in verse 2. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth. And harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Now, students, do you know? Which plague it was in the book of Exodus that produced these harmful sores, these boils. It was the sixth plague. Do you remember what the first plague was? That one might be a little bit easier. Turning the Nile River into blood. And look at bowls 2 and 3, verse 3 and 4. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became like a blood of a corpse. And every living thing died that was in the sea. And the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. But there isn't this perfect correspondence between the bowls and the plagues. Certainly there is a correspondence, but it's not identical. Not least of which, as you glance down at the fourth bowl in verse 8, it refers to the sun. So if there was this kind of direct correspondence to the plagues in Israel, wouldn't you almost think that it's, talking a, it's going to talk about the bowl being poured forth and the sun going dark? But instead of it being diminished, in this bowl it's amplified to a blinding degree. Look at verse 8 and 9. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. And it was allowed to scorch people with fire. And they were scorched by the fierce heat. And I'm not sure we're meant to take these bowls literally. Because certainly this fourth bowl can just be speaking about it, the blistering in burning intensity of God's wrath. You know, I imagine that some of you, as you approach these summer months, might be thinking about, perhaps in a fresh way, in a new way, about the blistering and burning intensity of the sun. Maybe you've bought more sunscreen recently. Maybe you're prepared to put bigger hats upon your head, or perhaps your children's head, lest you be uncomfortable with blistered and burning skin. I imagine even in a room of this size that there might be some of you that have had a sunburn before that was so painful you couldn't even seemingly sleep at night. So painful it was. And of course that has nothing to compare, does it, to this blistering and burning heat that pours forth from God's wrath. But in this second section, I want you to see that God's wrath is total. Not that there is just this kind of mirror-like quality to the plagues that fell upon Egypt in the Exodus. I want you to see that it's total. And to see that this judgment and wrath is total, you have to compare it to chapter 8. So flip over to chapter 8, verse 8 and 9. Thinking only about, for our purposes tonight, the second trumpet and the second bowl. Each of those are pronouncing judgment upon the waters turned into blood. And I want you to com compare the totality of the bowls 
in response to the partiality of the trumpets. See chapter 8, verse 8 and 9. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. A third, a third, a third. We'll flip back to the bowls in chapter 16. Aren't we told in verse 3 that the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea? It became like the blood of a corpse. And every living thing died that was in the sea. Actually, if you go back later on this evening in chapter 8, you'll see, I believe, 14 times a third, a third, a third, a third is mentioned. This, this partial judgment Upon the world, meant to signal forth their repentance. But here, perhaps, at the end of the age, as these bowls are poured forth, it's finally in totality. God's wrath touching everything and everyone of his enemies. So his wrath is personal. His, his wrath is total. And thirdly, God's wrath is suitable. Suitable. I was reading a novel not too long ago that seemed to take its inspiration from this nonprofit organization called the Innocence Project, which basically takes as their mission a desire to exonerate people convicted of a crime that they claim have been wrongly convicted. And it was even just this week that the Innocent Project and their work largely in, in DNA analysis had caused the release of a prisoner who was wrongly convicted of a crime. and He had been held in jail for the previous decade. Because the judgment was undeserved, he was released. And if you've ever wondered when you come to this personal and total wrath of God, if it's deserved, an angel now speaks up in verse 5 and 6 to make sure you know God's wrath is suitable. Look at verse 5 and 6. The angel in charge of the waters says, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. It is suitable. And it's a suitability you even notice in the nature of what it's saying here. Because they have shed the blood of my people, I will shed their blood in judgment. This is righteous retribution. This is appropriate recompense for the crime. God's punishment of sin always fits the offense. Even when, if you perhaps read in the nature of these bowls, it seems altogether overwhelming. Perhaps maybe you begin to see the depth of what it means to offend a holy God. His wrath is personal, total, and suitable. That's what the bowls are telling us. I think while I was in my garage earlier this week, I had this random thought about a pastor that was very influential with Christians in my generation. <clears throat> As a pastor who has since renounced his belief in Christianity. And so I just kind of thought to myself, I wonder what he's up to these days. And so I began to search for a podcast interview, thinking that I would surely find one about what he's up to these days. And I found one. It was a long one. Uh, interview that he gave with another former Christian who had deconstructed her faith in Jesus Christ. And they got to a point in the conversation where they were reminiscing about former beliefs in God's wrath and his judgment upon sin. And remarking about how 
early in their life, certainly in the times of belief, that it really had this shaping power. And this former pastor began to retell the story when one of his children was five years old. And he was concerned for the state of his child's soul. And he began to warn the child away from sin and try to woo him to the Savior because the wrath of God was coming. And the interviewer said, oh my, that's terrible. How traumatizing. And it's only traumatizing if it isn't true. But of course, our text is telling us it is true. Our text is telling us also that God's wrath is something that should change people. The promise, the pending reality of his fury falling upon the earth should do something within us. So let me mention three final things as we begin to close from this text. Number one, God's wrath calls for your conviction. It calls for your conviction. Look at the end of verse 9. They were scorched by the fierce heat. And they cursed the name of God. Who had power over these plagues. They did not repent. And give him glory. Now kids you might think. If you just read through these four bowls. That in light of such a display. In light of seeing such a display, hearing it, perhaps even feeling it. There would be a reason then at that point to repent. But they did not repent. If you ever wanted to know the blinding power of sin, let's look at this text. In light of all this, they still did not repent. How many today are like Pharaoh of old that they see these plagues of wrath and judgment fall upon the world and still will not believe? How many will at that time find these bowls falling upon the earth and still, in light of their fury and power and wonder, will not repent? I pray that wouldn't be any of you. Because what you need to understand, even on a day like this, you haven't experienced a full manifestation of God's wrath. That's true. But haven't you experienced something of a full manifestation of God's glory? As you've gathered with his people, received his supper, heard his word, experienced fellowship in the spirit with his people. And I wonder if you're taking that truth and it leading you to conviction. I pray that you wouldn't be numbered among those who see this, hear this, know this, feel this. And still do not repent. God's wrath calls for your conviction. Number two, God's wrath calls for your comfort. Perhaps you might say God's wrath brings you comfort. Look at verse 7. After this song, if you will, of the angel, this announcement and summons of God's suitability and his wrath, John says, And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Now, students, do you know what voice that is speaking? Now, again, it doesn't tell us, does it? But it tells us it's the, the altar speaking. And we know all the way back from chapter 6, it was there at the altar were the souls of the martyrs, those who had been killed for their faith. And you remember what they were doing in chapter 6? Praying for God to bring his vengeance upon the earth. And now what's happened? God has brought his vengeance upon the enemies. And what have they said? Amen. He's answered the prayer. If you wanted to know that God answers prayer, you look at Revelation chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 16. 
gives not only conviction for your repentance, it gives comfort, doesn't it? For even your requests of God. He hears the prayers of his people and answers them. Of course, it's not just about conviction. It's not just about comfort. It should lead us ultimately God's wrath to consider Jesus Christ. I read an article recently with a pastor, very well known. And he was remarking about how he used to really struggle with the wrath and judgment of God. And maybe you've been in a place like that. It just seems overwhelming. Perhaps blinding in its force. And then he said, I realized that if I I minimized God's wrath, I cheapened the love of Jesus Christ. Because of course, the truth of what we'll sing in just a moment, it was there on the cross that Jesus died and the wrath of God was satisfied. Wrath from a God that lives forever and ever laid aside, but a love from Christ that knows no limit. So if you wanted to know what it means to understand the fullness of God's personal, total, and suitable wrath, you'll recognize that you'll begin to see the fullness of his personal, total, and suitable love that he's given to you in his Son. That's why we dare not Do anything other than rejoice in wrath that has been satisfied. Because it points us to our need for conviction. It points us to the comfort that is in God's answering of our prayers. And it points us, doesn't it, to the Lord Jesus Christ who alone can satisfy that wrath that our sins deserve. Let's pray together. Father, we do ask that you would help us by your spirit to understand the truth of the judgment and the penalty that our sin deserves. That we may not hear about your kindness in Christ Jesus and find it doing anything other than leading us to repentance. That we might find life in his name. Lord, help us to understand how your wrath is a comfort. Convict us. Lead us to Christ, we pray in his precious name. Amen.